And remember, people, when you're out there, always be on alert for the three G's at work. The three G's, I ask myself? Yes, the three G's. The guys or the girls, the glory or the gold. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, your practical priestess of wisdom. And I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So join me on the flip for part two as we get into finishing up Duped by the Shiny. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you for joining me today. I always take a risk when I have to break up my subjects into two parts because I run the risk of not, of not getting the same people the next day. But I'm going to chance it again and I'm going to go on and do this in part two because I think this is so important. Okay. So anyway, let's get started with a quick little review. So yesterday I talked about uh, being duped by the shiny. I gave a little background history of how we came to be people who are attracted to shiny things uh, from it being passed down from our ancestors. I even talked about the biological impact on us of it being something that releases a uh, hormonal bath, if you will, of feel-good drugs (laughs) through our systems when we see bright and shiny objects. And then we talked a little bit about how now that we are at the highest technology advancement of uh, our known times, that we've been able to shorten the distance between the initial dopamine hit of enjoyment of of the anticipation to the satisfaction of the serotonin that's released when we get something. And thus, that allows us to uh, go through a loop because we also have more things that we can offer or are offered to us because of uh the abundance of stuff that keeps us distracted and keeps us entertained. Then I also talked a little bit about how the wisdom smack of today is not necessarily just being aware of the bright, shiny objects, but to be aware now of the bright, shiny symbols that get us distracted and up in arms about stuff so that we're not really paying attention to what is at the heart of the matter or what's really going on. Because we now live in a society where because we have an abundance of stuff, we now look for causes and ideas and uh, platforms to invest in. And they give them to us. And when I say they, I am talking about those who have learned how to masterfully hold our attention. And I implored you at the end of yesterday to start making it a habit to break the cycle of the squirrel moments that you have because they are helping to contribute to not only keeping us distracted, but continuing to deplete our ability to concentrate. And they are holding our attentions hostage. And so today I promised that I was going to talk about how to identify these symbols, how to identify the real culprits, and I promise to talk about the shield of mediocrity. So let's get started. All right. So today, the whole idea of um, the symbols instead of the system behind those symbols is, uh, I 
I'm just going to go on and say it. It's being manufactured and it's being manufactured. And you guys know, if you've listened to any of um, my recent podcasts, you know that I have talked often about Edward Bernays. I have uh, talked about uh, crowd behavior and crowd, crowd psychology. I've talked about how the individual may be smart, but the crowd is stupid and how there have been many years now where they have learned how to manipulate and to get people to do what they want them to. And that is really what I'm saying here, that when we look at our bright, shiny, quote unquote, objects, we also have to look at the distractions that are keeping us from what is really going on. Some while ago, I talked about a concept called the Overton window. And the Overton window is usually used in a political setting. And what it does is, is it is a pretty good tool to move people to a point of acceptance of a policy that you want to enact. And so they showed where in the, if you imagine a vertical line going up and down in the middle is where the general consciousness is. And the further out, whether above or below you move it, you move it from what is current to what would be absurd. And so what they do is they do a bit of emotional tempering. And that is they will put up something absurd in either direction, whether it is negative or positive, and they'll let that simmer for a new cycle or so. So that people can, you know, scoff at and like, oh, no, 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 and uh, get it out of their system so that when they bring it back down to where they really want it, which was still away from the general center of where people are, people, it will become more palatable. Now, I can even show you this in uh, when you go to the grocery store. Or let me let me put it this way. Uh, it is really done. Um, I got a a chance to visit some uh, wine places when I went to San Francisco um, a few years back. Now I don't drink at all, but I, I was just curious, and it was a beautiful row of um, places uh, that received shipments from Napa Valley, and so I wanted to go see them. And when I went in, the guy, he was wonderful. I was up front with him. I was like, I'm going to be one of the best people because I am not going to um, want to sip anything. I'm going to take your word for it. And I'm going to gift my host with whatever it is that they want to get, you know, today. And so he was a bit more open. And I saw the Overton window on full display. And I saw how they could use things to get the bright shiny out of us. And that was this. What he did was on the different rows and the beautiful showcases of wines, um, they had the traditional wines that were in the beautiful encasements and they were displayed prominently at the front of the store. And they caught people's attention. And what he explained was, he was like, these wines are 
exclusive. They're very expensive. And uh, the price point on them is astronomical. So of course, we keep them behind the case. And I was like, well, you know, do you have a lot of people that order that? And he's like, no, not really, not in the store. He says, people that want that kind of stuff, they're going to call us uh, for direct shipment, you know, direct pricing and that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, fine. And so he even said, he says, it's just for display. And he says, we put it up there because we want to set people's um, levels of expectation of what this story will provide. And I was like, noted. So, but here's where the true, the true meat of it went, you guys. So pay attention to this part. We went to where uh, the retail part was. Of course, we had all gone through the tastings and stuff. And I, you know, I just enjoyed the people, you know, swirling that stuff around and getting enamored with it and all that. Um, I was like, okay, that's cool. Now, so <laughs> we go to the retail side of the place. And on these shelves, they had right at eye level, uh, they had all of these uh, wines and the price points on them were <laughs> let's just put it this way those price points were up there i even said to myself i said well if if these cost in the couple of hundreds how much do those wines cost up front and he just grinned and he laughed and so <laughs> what he said was is he was like it is a marketing ploy and i was like do tell i have a marketing background and I knew what he was saying because, you know, if you're worth your salt in marketing, you know how you have to price lead. And But I let him talk. And he says, so what we do is we give you the taste of these wines during the tasting so that when you see them and uh, you see how much they cost and they're right at eye level, we have normalized what those those wines should cost. He says, but then... Because a lot of people are not willing to pay that much for one bottle of wine. What they'll do is they'll be like, do you have anything a little more, you know, conservative on the price that will get me in the range of whatever wine it was I liked? And I said, I like where you're going with this. Keep cooking. And so he explained, he says, so what we do is instead of devoting a lot of shelf space to our main inventory, we get to display the wines that are going to uh, be the ones that it would be really nice to have, but uh, they may or may not leave the store as soon. <laughs> and uh, they, but they really do help us to sell um, you know, the mainstay of their inventory. And I was like, that's really something, you know, and I thought it was going to go a different way because I am used to in the grocery store where the national brands get uh, the the uh, line of sight and then uh, the in-house and all of those others, the lower you go down, the lower the price point and all this kind of stuff. But this was a different approach. And it was one that was set up to appeal to the bright, shiny object syndrome. And it, it it did that because it gave you that aspirational, oh my gosh, here's the wine I just tasted that I really loved. Oh my gosh, it's $250 a bottle. And so when they take out a wine that says, well, we have this one on special or we, because people love this wine so much, but it may be a little, you know, cost prohibitive, we have this and no joke, 
the guy actually pulled out a trio of wines. Now, each one of the wines had a price tag of $95. And I still gulped. And he says, but if you get all three of them, you can get them for $199. Now, mind you, that one bottle that my friend liked was $250 for the one bottle. But because they had already tasted it, they knew they liked it, and they saw the price point, anything below that was going to be a better deal. And what the company knew was that if I set that as the price point, but then I not only give you a comparison, but I give you one where you get more, then I'm doing a win-win. And I thought it was really clever because they didn't go and pull the $20 bottle of wine or even the $5. No, they went just a step, a few steps below and they pulled a $100 bottle of wine out and they packaged it in a three. Uh, and when I say packaged in a three, not that each wine was the same, but mind you, they put it in a trio to highlight the different parts of that wine uh, that that was the high price one where you could have a similar experience with these three. And don't y'all know, we walked out of there with that $200 gift set of three. And I sat there when we were driving around and everything. And I was like, they got us good. And the friend was just laughing. And they were like, well, yeah, but thank you for the wine, <laughs> you know. And I thought it was brilliant at the time. But in hindsight, I see now where it is something that is done all the time to keep us engaged with these symbols that truly do hide the system. You see, in the wine store, the symbol was the $250 price tag of the wine that had, I have to take their word for it, but it had an exquisite palette. It, um, had an appeal and a mouthfeel to those who really love wine to give them the best experience, right? Okay, so you got that $250 bottle of wine that is the symbol. But the system behind that wine included migrant workers who get paid little of nothing to go out there and pick um, the grapes and all of the additional uh, fruits of strawberries and all the other stuff that had hints in um, that wine. It, it didn't talk about how uh, the taxations at the time uh, had some issues going on in the state where they had a little bit going on with that. It, it, it didn't talk about the system behind that beautiful symbol because to talk about that or look at those things would have taken the taste and the experience and the, the, the good feeling of uh, the product away. Now you might be saying, Michelle, why are you spending all the time talking about this? And you know, why is it so important that we look at it this way? I'm saying that to say that just like that wine, all we were thinking about was the good experience and how we were going to get a good deal on the three other wines that were run by uh, corporations that are just really there to get as much as they can for their shareholders. Um, I, I wanted to show that these symbols, these shiny symbols that we have now, they truly are very, very good at distraction. 
They are not novices. They are really big. Uh, case in point, um, when you think about online um, issues that people have, I remember there was this dress a few years ago and uh, people were arguing whether it was white or blue. And then there was this word they want to, you know, arguing whether they heard Laurel or, or something else and all of this stuff. And I started looking at it at that time that we love symbols. And I had promised today that what I was going to do was give you a good example of how slick a symbol can be and how to start catching your squirrel moments. But not only that, how to start identifying the real culprits. Okay, so let's get into that. What I want you to realize is that in today's world, when we're talking about these distractions, when we're talking about things that take away from your concentration and your and your right to put your attention wherever you want it to be, is that these symbols and these culprits use something that's real important that is for us to remember. If you can start looking for this, you can start looking past it to see who the real culprits are. And that is this thing, excuse me, called polarity. Whatever is polarizing. So uh, polarization means that there is a hard line on a left and a right. And it pulls people to choose a side where it's not it's not easy to go down the middle path. Right. And and so you usually will get people that are staunch defenders. And if you're not with us, you're against us and the pitchfork mob and all of this kind of stuff. And when you start to see that, when you start to see a polarization a pulling away, understand and I've talked about this before when I've talked about polarity, that polarity is really for the purpose of movement, of to, to get somebody moving. And so what I want you to do, and it's not that hard, so don't think it's going to be, is once you start things that are polarizing, I want you to step back and look and see what or, or what direction is the movement of this conversation or whatever this is going. Uh, let me give you an example. I don't like to talk about politics, so I'm not going to. You can't get me to. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the uh, the dress, the dress situation, where some people thought it was blue, some people thought it was cream, and it was all fun, laughing, ha ha ha, kiki ki, or whatever, right? Well, uh, the movement for that was such that they could um, actually start talking more about the way people perceive things online. Uh, They even had stories about um, why we should get ready for uh, more enhanced uh, computer screens and stuff. This, you know, they were getting ready for people to start embracing 4K. Uh, TV and and all of that. They were uh, talking about um, the clarity points of pixels and why certain people saw things one way or another. And when I looked back at it, I was like, this this is a shopping gold for uh, the people who are coming out with new TVs and and new technologies that tout this CRISPR technology of being able to see things because nobody wants to be accused of seeing stuff the wrong way because of faulty equipment. And so when I looked behind it, I'm not saying that these people uh, who are trying to push this narrative, it really did 
grow out of an organic kind of uh, conversation. But what it did lend toward, it did lend toward uh, certain people benefiting from it because they were able to help keep it going. And you had certain people saying, well, you know what? My cell phone is better than your cell phone. <laughs> and, um, you know, just talking about the the differences of, you know, you got it wrong because, you know, you're inferior or your equipment is inferior. And it just went on and on. And I, and I, I was like, wow, that's different because I, I, I would have never thought about that unless I had seen, I had not, you know, unless I had seen the write-ups on TechCrunch and Mashable and a whole bunch of different places that talked about this when the dust had settled, who really won from these polarized conversations, okay? So that's one way you need to look at uh, anything that's polarizing, look at the direction that it's going, look at who are the benefactors. And this goes into the root cause or this goes into the six degrees of separation, if you will. You have to start to embrace a true investigation and a wonderment with the truth to see who's funding this. I'm going to say this. I was surprised. I have a, a, a old friend who is an actuarial scientist, and he says that a lot of times when you're looking at things in... Um, just the everyday population, he said, you can, uh, you can most definitely attribute that funding in some way to someone trying to fund it to figure out the, the uh, actuarial science on it to benefit the uh, insurance industry or the military. And he was the one who had to tell him, he was like, do you realize that most people think banks are the most valuable companies in the world? And he says, no, it's insurance companies. <laughs> and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And so when he uh, started, and I'm not going to talk about all of this because, you know, hey, it was private conversation. But when he started delineating all the different things that the insurance industry was behind and the ins insurance industry had funneled money to, to research and to test out in the market, I was like, oh, you dirty dogs. And so it kind of was another wake up call. And so speaking of insurance, I want to talk about this thing called uh, the shield of mediocrity, um, because I'm determined to help you guys and help myself to regain our abilities to concentrate and to retain our own attention. OK, so the shield of mediocrity, it was coined by a uh, gentleman uh, who is a um, uh, a marketing person out of Florida. And uh, Jim, if you're out there, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and so he was talking about it in a mastermind we attended. And he said, you know, I've coined this, the shield of mediocrity. And uh, I was like, well, what is the shield of mediocrity? It's, he said, it's an insurance. And he says, have you ever had someone who everything you put out, you know, they love you, but everything you put out as a vendor or a marketer, they buy. And he says, and you know, they're never going to use it because if they didn't use the stuff you put out two years ago, they surely can't use the stuff that you're using now because it's more advanced, but they still buy it. And I was like, hmm. And I thought about it. And that had been the case. Um, there are times like if, especially if I'm doing 
um, a, a class and uh, I say, well, you have to have this prerequisite or that, inevitably, I'll get people on my email list who send me a message to say, hey, Michelle, um, can I get in there? No, I haven't published this or I haven't done that, but I just, I kind of really just want to have it for when I do get around to that. And at first I used to say no, but after my conversation with Jim, I was like, yes. And I call it now, he calls it the shield of mediocrity, meaning that it protects people from feeling mediocre. It protects them from feeling like they're not in the arena. It protects them from feeling that they're just a spectator on the sidelines because they have all this stuff. I now call it the insurance against the spectation or the insurance against the fear of missing out. And so I have noticed in this world that there are a lot of people who start collecting a lot of resources, materials, and even events, like they'll go to conferences, but they are not players in the industry where they do all this stuff. But because they own all this stuff in their minds, they are the experts. And so there are people out there who know this just like I do, but they take advantage of it because they know if I keep you buying the shiny object, I really don't have to do a lot of work because you and I both know you're not going to do any of the stuff that the product or the service or the software um, promises. You're just going to be happy to have it if it just in case you might need it. And there is nothing wrong with this, you guys. I am not poo-pooing on this. There have been times that I have even said, let me go on and get this because um, I'm going to be doing XYZ next year and I might need it. And there have been many times when I have gone through and found something that I knew I bought off of someplace. And sure enough, it was what I needed at that time. But it's not where I am being excited about the fiendish dopamine hit and uh, serotonin loop that I get from just simply purchasing it. And that's what he was talking about with this whole shield of mediocrity. That there are a lot of people out there with these addictions and they don't even know they have them. That, and well, on the retail side, they've done a lot of study for it, but it has jumped to the online world where there are a lot of people who they're hit of dopamine serotonin happens when they see something new and shiny and when they purchase it they do not ever intend to use it heck they i've had people where they never even opened up the um login to sign up to get their um their access to whatever it was i was offering and yet and still If I say tomorrow that I'm going to be opening up a class to learn this or do that or produce this, they will be right there and I will be happy to help them because for some people, it's a coping way. It's a coping mechanism to feel like I'm hanging on by my my fingernails, but yet still I'm hanging on because I'm still buying stuff. I'm still at least in the arena. I might not be down there uh, on in the arena, but I'm in, I mean, on the field, but I'm in the arena at least. And so this shield of mediocrity has become something that a lot of people have engaged in and and don't realize that that's what they're doing. And I kind of just want to call attention to it, not to say it's bad at all. No, 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 I would not say that. I'm just simply saying that being duped by the shiny is a 
deep and sometimes disturbingly diabolical thing that can happen to us. So in my last few minutes, I want to close it up with doing a a more kind of like a recap and, and some things to remind us. And so today we really kind of talked about how to look at these golden symbols and um, how they uh, have telltale signs to them and how to look at who's really pulling the strings or benefiting from it. Looking at the symbols of polarity um, and getting them confused with what's really going on. And then I talked about more of how to uh, identify your squirrel moments, you know, and root these things out to step back and understand what's really going on. And then we talked about the shield of mediocrity, which is uh, insurance against feeling like you're a spectator, where you start owning a lot of resources. And in that ownership, you feel like you're in the game. Heck, I have some people that tell me they're an expert. (laughs) I have actually seen people that because they have bought a whole bunch of stuff that when it comes time to do something, they'll look through it and say, oh, I want a refund. I'm like, why? Because I've already seen this before. And I politely ask them, I will be happy to give you a refund after you have done it and show me that it doesn't work. And guess what? I don't hear from them anymore because they know that they have just had to face the fact that they never intended to do anything with it anyway. And I'm like, it still works. Whenever you're ready to pick pick it up, it still works. Uh, But I don't want you to feel like that is the end-all be-all. If you want to move past being duped by the shiny, wisdom is saying that we have to wake up because there is so much more going on around us. Uh, Yesterday, I even talked about Homo Deus and how um, Harari talks about religion offering order to the masses while science offers power to the few. And I even uh, today talked a little bit about how to identify these things so that you can regain your ability to concentrate on what's important and to snatch back control of your own attention span. And so as my time doing those down, I want you to know that you are, it's not your fault. We are, we are, we are made this way, but I do want you to take a pause and pull back. If you find too much drama, too much polarization going on, that's probably a good indicator that you are embroiled in a golden symbol that is manufactured to keep you from doing what you need to do or to even really see what is the true culprit behind it. And don't rest in your laurels of just gathering, gathering a whole bunch of stuff to feed an addiction that you're not even aware of. Instead, take it day by day, use one thing at a time and only move towards the next when you are ready. All right. So guess what? Yep. My time is up. I want to thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spiva, your practical priestess of wisdom with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. So you know what to do. Come on back. See me tomorrow. And don't forget to check the show links. Bye. (music) 
And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.